Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that the grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How could we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death has no longer any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have brought, been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Good morning. Good morning. It's brilliant to be speaking to both of my employees. You see, I've brought my big Bible just for the occasion. This morning's passage is talking about being dead to sin and being alive in Christ. In the message translation of this passage, uh, it, it really poetically describes a picture to help us understand this. It's almost as if it says, uh, we, we, we were brought up and lived in this nation called sin, and now we live in this new nation called Christ. We've moved home. Our status has changed. It reminds me of uh, the film The Truman Show. I don't know if anybody's seen The Truman Show. Have you seen The Truman Show? A few of us have seen The Truman Show. It's great. We, as a student community, we watched it on Friday night uh, in one of our socials. It was a brilliant time. And The Truman Show is this amazing film uh, about this character called Truman. And he is the only one in the whole world who doesn't know that he, every single minute of every single day, is being filmed for a TV show. In fact, he lives in this artificial world, this kind of bubble created so that he can be watched and filmed at all times. Everyone he meets, his wife, his best friend, the people in the street, his employers, they're all actors. And he is none the wiser. And the whole film is about how Truman is learning that his reality isn't real. It's, it's all about how he's discovering that actually he's on TV, he's been filmed. And it's hilarious. 
And at the end of the film, the climax of the film, I'm going to spoil it for you, it's about 10 years or more old, so Mark hates it when I spoil films, but I'm going to do it. Um, at the end of the film, he's at the edge of this world, and he has the option, he's discovered that it all is not real, and he sees the exit door, and he has the opportunity to go out into the real world. And he opens the door, and just before he goes through it, the, the, the creator of the show speaks to him and says, don't leave, why would you leave? Look at what we've built together. Why would you want to leave? I've looked after you since birth. And he says, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, and he steps out into the real world. Truman leaves his old life and steps into a new life. Why on earth would he ever go back to being on The Truman Show? Why would you do that? How could you possibly go back to being on The Truman Show? You've discovered your whole life is a lie. Your, your marriage is a sham. Your job and your career doesn't exist. Why would you go back to that old way of life? In fact, I would propose that it's impossible to go back. If we went back, the whole premise of the show it, it, it exists because he doesn't know that he is Truman being watched. He cannot go back, right? It also reminds me of, of the prodigal son. It's a story within the Gospels, I'm sure lots of us know it. And it's a story of a son who, who wants his inheritance right now. He wants to go and spend it, live out in the world, move out of the family home, do what he wants to do. And he goes out and he parties uh, and uh, he just blows all the money. Makes loads of mistakes. Eventually winds himself up in this place of, of poverty at the lowest of the low, realizing, I've messed up. Thinks, right, okay, I'm going to go back to the family home, but I'm probably going to have to be a servant. I'm probably going to have to maybe work in the fields. I'm going to have to earn my way back in. And it's an amazing story because the father welcomes and says, you're my son. You get to be back in the family home. I forgive you. I love you. And I like to imagine the story of the prodigal son a couple of weeks later. You know, he's, he's back in the house, him and his brother are getting on again, him and his dad are really tight, things are good. Things are starting to be forgotten. The prodigal son can still remember, though, that feeling of being at the lowest of the low, thinking, I can't go on living like this. In fact, I'd rather end it than live like this. And he still has that memory and those emotions in his mind. And then I like to imagine sitting at the breakfast table and he looks at his father and his brother and he thinks... You know that thing when I went away and I did all that stuff and then I came back and they're like, yeah. I think I'm going to go do it again, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. We read this story and you think, that prodigal son, he's never going to mess up again, right? Of course he isn't. And it's same here. We are, if, you, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, if you've given your life to Jesus and said, sorry for what I've done, I want to turn my life around for you, Jesus, I want you to be the most important thing in my life. So I'm going to follow you in all your ways and all your laws. If you've done that and you're here this morning, then you know, just like I know, we become dead to sin, alive in Christ. We've moved country from sin to the country of Christ. We've moved from the Truman Show into the reality. We're never going back. We never sin again, right? Life is perfect. Yeah. Life is good, never get anything wrong, always goes my way. I never sin. I remember that feeling being 15 years old and um, uh, getting baptised in Loch Ness. Amazing. <laughs> Much better than this, I'll tell you that. 
I mean, you can come to the baptism service at the end of the month, or we can set something up in Loch Ness. Just let me know. And it was October. It was very cold. And I remember being 15 thinking, here we go. I am full of sin. Here we go. I mean, I was, I was bad. And I don't know if they do this every time, but they had to dunk me three times. <laughs> I'm serious. I was covered in sin. It was bad. But I thought, here we go. I'm going to get dunked, dunked again, dunked a third time. Welcome to the perfect life. Here we go. And it was awesome. And for about 20 seconds, it was true. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, hold on. There's something, there's something that doesn't make sense here. I'm supposed to be dead to sin and alive in Christ. I'm supposed to have moved away from sin, and I'm supposed to live in this new place called Christ. And yet I'm sinning still. I'm still messing up. And in fact, actually, when we look at our passage, we've got this amazing, amazing passage talking about, uh, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You were baptized with Christ, you shared in his death, and now you share in his life. Free from sin. Free from the tyranny of sin. It's amazing. The old way is done away with. New creation. We love it. But I only have to do that with my Bible and turn to chapter 7 to to suddenly find the same author, Paul, saying, I do what I don't want to do. I do what I shouldn't do. I have a sinful nature. Sin is living in me. There is no good that dwells in me. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I mean, even Paul is struggling with this. But he's just said we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. I don't understand. If you've been coming along to our, uh, to our services in the morning recently, um, then uh, we've been going through this paradoxology series. And I think there is a paradox here that lies right in the heart of the Christian faith. How do we live in this truth that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ when I keep messing up? I don't understand. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you're here with us this morning. God, I thank you that there is is that promise that when two or more gather in your name, you're with us by your Spirit. Jesus, would you continue to teach us and minister to us as we explore this passage? In your name we pray. Amen. So I thought uh, in order to go on this journey, I need to fully understand what sin is in order to understand what being alive in Christ is. Does that make sense? So in order to understand where I am now, I want to know where I've come from. So I want to know what sin is. Uh, Sin often in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, uh, uh, the picture is given of an archery firing a bow at a target. And it describes sin as being when we miss the target, when we fall short of the target. Uh, And and so it's very, very easy um, and understandable to assume that the target for us uh, uh, are the rules that God lays out, right? Do the things that God says. Fulfill the law of God and you'll be good, and you'll nail it, and it all will be well. The target is getting the rules right. But as I just just started to read into this and look at my own experience and to pray about it, I discovered that actually sin is so much more than that. 
that actually sin is so much more than just breaking the rules or falling short of the rules. I discovered that the target isn't the law, that the target is intimacy with God. And the law absolutely is given to us by God to keep. Because the purpose of the law, you see, law can only do two things. It can condemn us and it can protect us. And God 100% believes in it. And yes, of course, sinning is not adhering to those laws. But you see, the problem with just adhering to the law is that all it can do is condemn you and protect you. So it builds a fence around your life so that you stay in what God has for you that is good and you don't wander into what God doesn't have for you, which is bad. Because everything that God has for us is good. So, so the law will tell you when you step over the fence and you've gone wrong, and the law will also keep you protected if you stay within it. But the law cannot forgive you. And the law cannot love you. Only God can do that. Our target must be God and intimacy with him, not the law. You see, sin is not just a legalistic issue. It is a relational issue. Only God can forgive. You see, and God created the law because he knew exactly what the cost was when we stepped outside, when we sinned. He knew that the cost of sin was breaking our relationship with him. It says in Corinthians that the sting of death is sin. Sin always leads to death. But when we follow Jesus, it always leads to life. So God knew, and he knew, in fact, he knew so well because he, he actually made himself into human form, came and lived among us, lived a perfect life, he then was ripped apart in flesh, bled out, beaten, tortured, died on the cross for us. He knows the cost of sin because he died so that we don't have to die. God knows the cost. That's why he built the law. But it was never to be just about the law. You see, the Pharisees were obsessed with the law. And they missed it when they met Jesus. So we are now dead to sin and alive in Christ, where once we were in sin, we are now in Christ. But we still mess up. We still get it wrong. And so what I want to do is I want to, is I want to give us an understanding of what our salvation means, if that's something that you have accepted in your life. I want to give you an understanding of what that salvation is. And then I want to give us three ways from Paul in this passage uh, of how to live alive in Christ. So firstly an understanding of our salvation. So salvation is not just a baptism. It's not just a moment. It's like when you get married, it's not just a wedding day, right? I've just finished the marriage prep course, and it was fantastic because I'm getting married. And, woo, absolutely. Um, I'll take that gentle clap from wherever that came from. Um, and it's fantastic and it's very exciting, but my goodness, it is not just about a day. I mean, sometimes it feels like it's just about a day, because that's all we flip and talk about, but no, I'm joking. <laughs> that's not true, that's not true. That's not true, Laura, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> um, it's not just about a day, and the marriage prep course, in fact, actually, you don't talk about the day at all. The prep course is all about your marriage. 
And it's the same with salvation. It is not just a moment when you say, God, I want to follow you. Okay, cool. You're now dead to sin and alive in Christ. Don't worry about it. We're sorted. Salvation is a lifelong journey, and Jesus knew that from the beginning. In fact, actually, the word salvation in the New Testament, uh, in the original Greek, is soctirio or sozo. Soctirio or sozo. And uh, it actually has three tenses. It's not just a moment. It actually, in fact, a more accurate translation would be to say, God, you have saved me, you are saving me, and you will save me. Past, present, and future, yesterday, today, and forever. See, Jesus knew it was a lifetime, not a moment. So be free from shame and guilt whenever you mess up. You're not supposed to get it right because you can't get it right. Jesus knew that. He said, that's why I'm here to save you yesterday, today, and forever. Be free from shame and guilt when you get it wrong. We need to have that understanding of salvation in order so that we might live alive in Christ. So, the three ways that Paul gives us to live alive in Christ. Let's go to verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves dead to sin. Count yourself in. I, uh, I love the books and the films, um, The Lord of the Rings. Has many of us seen that? I'm sure lots of us have heard of it, if not seen it or read it. Amazing story. Uh, really epic films. And the third film, the third and final installment, this is another spoiler to a film, by the way. <laughs> I just love doing that. Um, the, third, the third film is called The Return of the King. It's kind of in the title, so it's not too much of a spoiler. Uh, and essentially what we find is um, one of our main protagonists, who we've journeyed with so far in the trilogy, uh, all the while we discover that actually, while he's been all mysterious, being a bit of a hero, wandering the hills. He's not actually just some weirdo. He's actually a king. We discover he's a king. And the, and the final installment is all about him finally taking his rightful place, picking up his sword, picking up his throne, picking up his crown, and saying, I'm king. It's this amazing moment. You see, throughout the trilogy, he was always the king. He just had never counted himself in. He had rejected that truth in his life. And I think sometimes we can do that in our belief and in our following of Jesus. And in fact, I think when we sin, we're doing just that. We're saying, God, I disagree with the work that you've done in my life. No, no, uh, no um, uh, I didn't see any cameras. Uh, I'm not on the Truman Show. I'm just going to keep living my life. No, I don't, I don't live in this place called Christ. I live in this place called sin. It's like we're refusing the status that has changed in our lives. So count yourself in. You see, when we don't count ourselves in, it's like we're wandering in the wilderness pretending to be a no one when really we're royalty. Just like in the Lord of the Rings. Count yourself in. The second thing Become in practice what you already are in status before God. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Become in practice what you already are in status before God. Live out the truth that he's given you. 
live out the life that he's given you. So absolutely that means follow the laws of God. Because he's given them to us to protect us and give us life. To ensure that we don't step outside of what is good for us. Live out in practice the work that God has done in us. We are alive in Christ now. And thirdly, offer yourself. Verses 13 and 14. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. You have a new master. And it's Jesus. And it's good news. You are alive in Christ. Sin was once your master. You are no longer a master to sin. In fact, it says further on in chapter 6, where once we were slaves to sin, we are now slaves to righteousness. You have been set free. Paul also writes uh, that a true and honest worship is when we offer up ourselves as living sacrifices to God. How do we live as a response to this truth that we're alive in Christ? Offer yourself, all of yourself, to God. I've got to get practical on this because it, that's all really good to say and it makes loads of sense. But the living sacrifice thing, I mean, do I need to jump on this altar and grab a knife or what? Or how does this work? No, Jesus paid that cost. When we offer ourselves, all of ourselves to God, for me it brings up a number of practical things. So I start to ask myself the question, am I offering myself, all of myself, to the church? Am I serving? And not just serving, but am I turning up? And not just turning up on a Sunday, but I mean, when I'm here, am I me? Am I real? Am I giving my time to people? You see, I don't view church as a big hall filled with strangers. I view it as a family, and we're in a living room. And sometimes when you're in a family home, there's a screaming baby that that needs calmed. There's dishes that need washed. There's hoovering that needs to be done. Family only works if we're all inputting and we're bringing ourselves to the table. Am I giving all of myself to the church? Am I giving all of myself to study and prayer? Am I reading the word of God, the living word of God, daily? Not just when I've got a work thing or I need to do a talk. Guilty. I'm seriously challenged by that. Am I studying the word of God daily? Am I offering up all of myself or am I just giving him a piece? Am I offering up my finances? Uh, I I was again really challenged by this last week, in fact. A friend of mine said to me, they said, you know, um, whatever you pay for, Whatever you spend your money on when, that, uh, when, your, when your paycheck comes in at the end of the month, whatever the, whatever the first thing you spend your money on, that's your priority. That's where your heart is. Now, of course, direct debits come out at different points in the month, and we can get super literal about that. But, but I, think, I think there's a real principle there. What's my first priority with my finance? Am I giving all of myself to God? Therefore, am I giving all of my finance to him? Is he my first priority? And then finally, am I giving myself, when I give myself to God, am I giving myself to people? 
You see, I believe that when, when we set God as our target, intimacy with God as our target, we fall in love with him more. And as we fall in love with God more, we fall in love with the things that he loves more. Or more accurately, uh, who he loves more. We fall in love with his people. And I discover, as I fall in love with God, that he really loves my friends. He really loves the lads that I play football with. He really loves the lads that I went to uni with I'm still really close with. He really loves the lads that I went to school with, who I'm still best friends with. He really loves them. Am I giving, as I give myself to God, am I giving myself to people? I believe that as we give all of ourselves to God, that leads us to giving all of ourselves to people. I believe that we look most like Christ when we are giving ourselves to people. And I don't just mean, are we inviting them uh, a couple of, couple of weeks before the carol service, thinking, oh, do you want to come to a carol service? Or I'm not just thinking, okay, it's the week before Alpha and I haven't invited anybody yet. Um, I'll just send out three texts. Are you going to come to Alpha? I mean, it, it is that stuff. Of course it is that stuff. But it's giving all of ourselves. Oh, you need to chat at four o'clock in the morning? I'm there for you. You need help moving house? Yeah, I'll cancel a couple of things and then I'll be there. You hungry? I'll feed you. You need money? Have some of mine. You haven't got any clothes? Take mine. Am I giving all of myself to people? There's a quote, there's a lyric by Nick Cave, the musician, from a song, and he says, uh, You haven't got no money, I'll get you some. You haven't got no car, I'll get you one. You've got no self-respect, you feel like an insect. Well, don't you worry, buddy, because here I come. I love that. Are we giving all of ourselves to people? And that, for me, I think are the three ways that Paul gives to us that we can practically live out this truth, that we are dead to sin and now alive in Christ. Praise Jesus. If you have accepted Jesus into your life, if you said, Lord, I want to follow you, I want to turn away from my old way of living, something's got to change in my life because it's not the way I thought it would be and I want to give my life to you, Lord and you've said that, then you are now dead to sin and alive in Christ. And thank you, Jesus, that our salvation is yesterday, today, and forever, because, Lord, I'm going to mess up, and I'm going to need salvation. And he says, I know. 